This is the On The Banks Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 106 of the On The Banks Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor, Aaron Brightman. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Lots of fun things to talk about here. Getting into the end of September, fall is officially beginning this week. And Rutgers football is 3-0 for the first time since 2012. Going to the big house this weekend against number 19 ranked Michigan, also unbeaten. This is the latest in the season that Rutgers has faced uh, an unbeaten foe while being uh, undefeated as well since 2006 when they faced Louisville. So lots of history being made. Also the first time they went through non-conference play undefeated since 2014. You know, really uh, performed very well against Delaware. Better, uh, well, I shouldn't say better, but I would say uh, it was less of a game than I thought it would be. And Delaware, listen, they, they have some players. I think they're going to have a good year. But Rutgers did what good teams do, and they came out uh, with urgency and purpose, and they really set the tone very early on. So now it really gets interesting. Big Ten play is here. We'll be talking about that shortly, but I did want to talk about the other sports uh, this fall. Uh, another huge week, uh, uh, really, for all four. Uh, men's soccer really uh, gets the headline. Huge, huge win going to Indiana to open the Big Ten season, where Indiana hadn't lost since 2015, a Big Ten home game. Rutgers came away with a 2-1 win, uh, come from behind victory on Friday night. Indiana was a national runner-up last year. They won the Big Ten uh, regular season title three years in a row. They won the Big Ten tournament five years in a row this was their third loss in six years and Rutgers was the one to hand it to them Jim McKeldry's team off to a fantastic start they backed it up with another win on Monday against Penn uh, with a one nothing victory they enter the coaches United coaches poll on Tuesday ranked number 21 nationally they're ranked number 12 in the top drawer soccer they're now 7-0 and 1 to start the season best program start since 1985 so obviously a lot to be excited about there. Then you have women's soccer had a huge week as well. Um, rebounded from two losses the week before to beat Drexel and then beat rival and defending Big Ten champion Penn State on Sunday at two to one. Third consecutive year they beat Penn State now and they now start the season really controlling their own destiny for an opportunity to win a Big Ten title. Men's soccer as well. They both beat the defending champ and preseason favorite and they start the season one and oh. So Lots to be excited about there. Field hockey, once again, uh, remains in the top uh, 10. Uh, one uh, had two more ranked victories this past weekend against uh, Monmouth and Delaware. They're now 6-1 uh, and one on the season with five ranked victories. They're in the middle of a brutal stretch, nine out of 10 games against ranked foes. They open up Big Ten play this weekend at Northwestern, a team they beat twice last year in the regular season, but lost to in the Big Ten tournament ending their season and essentially was a play-in game for the NCAA tournament. So they've had this game circled on the calendar for a while. And then you have volleyball that went one-on-one at at Clemson, beat East uh, East Tennessee State, lost to Clemson, finished non-conference play, eight and three, best start since 2012, huge weekend ahead at the rack. They host number 20 Penn State on Friday and number two Wisconsin on Saturday. So uh, certainly uh, we'll find out more about that team very shortly. Uh, you know, won six Big Ten matches, uh, most matches ever since joining the conference last year, looking to build on that this year. And with the way they did non-conference play, that listen, they, they have a shot at the NCAA tournament if they can 
make even more progress in Big Ten play. So there we have it, Olympic sports, two top 10 teams. Women's soccer is now back to number nine. Field hockey, number 10. Men's soccer, number 21. Volleyball, best start since 2012. And now you have football, best start since uh, 2012 as well. Heading to Michigan, who's leading the country in rushing. Rutgers has a tall task ahead of it. There was some breaking news today as well. So to discuss this matchup and the current states of both teams, we are going to welcome in Anthony Broom, uh, managing editor and site producer for SB Nation's Michigan site, Maze and Brew, and James Cratch, beat reporter for NJ Advanced Media, who's covered Rutgers now for a few years and is always great to have on. So looking forward to discussing Saturday's matchup with both of them now. It's now my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, beat reporter for New Jersey Advanced Media, James Cratch, covering the Rutgers beat for a few years now. Uh, James, thanks so much for being here. Anytime, Aaron. Thank you. So we're recording on Tuesday of game week for Michigan. Obviously a uh, wild day uh, with the news this morning of the arrest of Max Melton and Chris Long. Wanted to ask you how your day has been, how that process has gone, and just what you can tell us right now in terms of the status of everything. Day's been a little bit more eventful than usual. You know, obviously Tuesdays are always kind of a big day because it's the first day of practice and the first day of players are available as you look forward to a new game. But no, definitely a little more hectic than usual. So yeah, basically, I mean, every we, you know, Sarge and I have kind of reported everything out. These two players were involved in an incident on Monday night, according to Rutgers University Police. Three students apparently were, were on Livingston campus, were shot at pretty close range, according to the probable cause affidavits, with a paintball gun out of a moving vehicle. And they did an investigation. They obviously brought the two players into custody. So Greg Shiano suspended them you know, immediately. That's what the statement said right before practice on Tuesday. Released on their own recognizance, no bail. They have a November 4th court date at this point. And I think the big question now is it's hard to envision that they're going to play Saturday at Michigan, although we don't know that officially. Uh, Greg Shiano is not going to talk to the media again scheduled until Thursday. But it's just hard to imagine they're going to play at Michigan, which is bad news for Rutgers, you know, on, from an on-field perspective. Obviously, Max Melton's been arguably the best defensive player through three games. But I think the big question now going forward is obviously – how does this play out in the legal system? And obviously that that's going to take some time to probably sort out and figure out. But the bigger question is, when do they get back on the field for Rutgers this season, if at all, this year? Yeah, great reporting today. But that does bring up a bigger question. I think long term, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to speculate, you know, when or if they will be back. But in the immediate term, you know, secondary has been a position that depth has been an issue heading into the season and uh, Patrice Brene has been out injured all season so far. We're not quite sure the status on him. Now you lose Melton, who I agree has been arguably the best player on defense this season. You know, where does this leave them going into Michigan? Obviously some other guys have played, but uh, really puts them in a hole, right? It does. I mean, they, they do have some options, you know, obviously look, if, if Patrice Renee is ready to go and it's probably something that we won't necessarily know until, you know, we're in, the big house on Saturday and we're watching warmups because Greg Shiano tends to kind of play those things close to the vest. If Patrice Renee is ready to go, presumably he just slides right in where Melton was. Honestly, you know, you don't know if he's going to be hundred percent, you know, you don't know what his injury was. You don't know how much rust he's going to have to knock off, but if Renee is available, that's an easy fix for them. They could move Avery young back to corner from safety. Uh, that would lead them to have to put another safety out there. But, you know, a guy like Najee Jones has played a good amount Elijah Clark, the freshman, has played some this year. They've been running a lot of like four, two, five looks, two linebacker looks to get an extra defensive back on the field. 
Uh, they could go back to, you know, more of a traditional 4-3 look. And that way Trey Avery, who's been kind of playing that, you know, hybrid role, kind of nickelback, he could just slide in the one outside corner spot. Obviously, Kassan Abraham figures to be in the other one. You know, or they could simply go next man up. And then at that point, you're talking about guys like Robert Longerbeam, Jameer Campbell, you know, other defensive backs that have had good camps that have played well for them that are probably next guys up on the depth chart. Obviously, Long would have been one of those guys too, but obviously he also figures to be out uh, along with Melton. So they have some options available to them. I think they'll probably do an all the above approach. I mean, I think to start with, you're probably going to have three linebacker sets out there more often than not, given Michigan's running game. But I would think that maybe Young stays put at safety. I think that's kind of a, you know, you don't want to create, you have a hole and you don't want to create two holes to fix that hole. So I think that you probably would see, my guess is, a lot of three backer, three linebacker sets. Maybe we see, you know, Patrice Renee come back. And I think a guy like Longerbeam probably gets an extended run. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's a good point about uh, Avery Young. I think it's tempting to, to move him back, but I think keeping him there long term makes the most sense. What do you think emotionally, you know, or just psychologically, how this either helps or doesn't help or changes things going into Saturday? Shiano, as we know, is kind of a master psychologist. You know, do you think there's a way that he can kind of turn this into a, maybe not a positive, but a into going into Saturday and the big house, you know, up against the wall, does this help them a little bit more of like a us against the world mentality? It could. I mean, I, look, I think this is, this is a, obviously a challenge for Shiano. It's a big test. I mean, a guy who stresses culture, 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 you know, on one hand, they believe they have a strong culture, a strong culture should be able to kind of overcome a situation like this, you know, and maybe you know, approaches that this is no different than if a guy got, key player got injured. That being said, you know, when you're, you know, your motto is family trust chop, this is a really tough situation to have happen before the biggest game the program has played in years. So I think it's difficult. I definitely think it's a challenge that Greg Shiano is going to have to tackle, but you know, these things happen from time to time. And I think at the end of the day, I don't think it'll be a positive for Rutgers, but I don't think it'll necessarily be a negative either. So just talking about this matchup with Michigan, obviously last year, a wild game, triple overtime loss. Uh, Rutgers had Michigan, you know, kind of on the ropes more than once, had a chance to win it with a field goal in overtime. Uh, How much do you take away from that game in terms of being relevant to this year? Or do you kind of just toss that out with, you know, Michigan really having a a little bit of a different approach? Half, you know, half their coaching staff is new and, and all the injuries and everything else that they had last year. I completely toss it out. I mean, I think last year was a weird year all across the board. And I would argue that that Michigan game may have been the weirdest game. You know, I remember <laughs> being in the stands. It was so, you know, it was fun. so kind of a funny story, not a funny story, you know, with COVID and everything back then. I mean, it's kind of, you got to remember, I think it was in late, you know, November, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was, it was November. So like mid to late November, it was before Thanksgiving. I know that everything we were being told was it was safer to sit outside than inside. So I actually <laughs> told Rutgers like, Hey, like I'll sit in the outdoor press box. Like love, like where, where WRSU calls games and everything. Just because there's something different, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. out, being outside in the atmosphere, it felt so strange to be in that stadium and everything. So that game obviously was, you know, at seven o'clock at night, I think it ended a couple ticks after midnight. So after five hours, I had my big warm and then you got to wait for, you know, everyone in the health center to get up, set up the WebEx. So 
sensei, like, I got a really, really bad cold, like the worst cold I have had in a <laughs> long time covering that game. And obviously, back then, you're thinking, like, oh, is this, this is horrible. You know, thankfully, it was not COVID. It was just a bad cold. Like, the, the doctor was like, well, you're, like, one of the five guys that got a really bad cold this year. But <laughs> that game was, like, it was, like, watching a game with Funhouse Mirrors. I mean, it was one of the strangest games. Like, at the, I remember going to getting home, falling asleep, waking up and be like, what just happened? Like, I remember like looking through the box score being like, oh, that happened. That's right. So long winded way of saying, I just throw it completely out the window. Two different teams, you know, God only knows what Michigan, you know, that's one of the things about this last year was I think Rutgers did a really good job of managing COVID once they had their big outbreak. They played all nine games with the only people on campus. They were disciplined. They were well coached. Some of these teams, I think you're learning in hindsight, like, they may have barely gotten a kickoff in a given week when they had a loss or a crazy game people don't understand. So I throw that completely out the window, and I think that this is a, a totally different game. Yeah, I think Michigan and Penn State are two prime examples that just had really rough, you know, goes with it. And, and then this year, I mean, they're both off to great starts, and obviously the talent level is so high with both those programs. Talking about Vedral, you know, obviously he had a really big game against Delaware. Some people look at it as, oh, well, it was Delaware. But, you know, he still played a, a really high level against any opponent. Probably his second best game at Rutgers, his first being the Michigan game last year. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that there's anything to take away from that in terms of, you know, having confidence of, of doing that against that defense? Obviously, they have a different coordinator this year, a little bit of different look. But how much does that help him going into Saturday? I think it does, you know, especially the Delaware outing in the sense that, you know, we kind of have re, you know, reconfirmed again that he can play like that. And I thought Rutgers did a lot of smart things to kind of set him up. They they moved the pocket. They kept the extra guys in to protect. You know, I think with Vedral, he's a guy who can be very effective if, if everything's kind of clicking and, and they're setting him up in the right way. I think one of the issues through the first two games was, you know, that necessarily wasn't happening with the play calling and the schematics and the offensive line with playing for, but everything kind of clicked into place against Delaware. And I think you definitely carry that and carry last year's performance against the Wolverines into this game. How concerned should Rutgers fans be about the run game? And obviously they, they had some uh, on the defensive side, they struggled against the run a little bit, but, but I think, you know, really the key for the, the defense is, is not to, to get worn down in Big Ten play like they have every year, you know, in recent years. Uh, with the offense going into Michigan, needing to establish a run, needing to sustain drives, you know, uh, how concerned should fans be just that they're going to be able to do that? Look, it's a concern, definitely. I think, you know, Michigan's got a much better front than Delaware, though Delaware had some good guys. I mean, I think the biggest key for me from a promising standpoint was the fact that, you know, they got Isaiah Pacheco. I harp on it all the time on every platform. They got Isaiah Pacheco going north-south, squaring his shoulders, getting upfield. When he does that, no one really stops him. So I think to get him in a groove, get him going upfield is the biggest key for them. And then you're going to sprinkle in your guy, your Aaron Young, you know, your, your Noah Vedral quarterback runs. I think that could be a big part of the game too. You know, you don't want to run Vedral all the time because you, you don't want to get him hurt because if he gets hurt, you've got real problems. But Vedral is designed quarterback runs as a very effective weapon that can move the chains and change. You know, I think it changes the entire dynamic of the offense when he is being used as a running threat. Do you think that they would use him more in that in that capacity if they maybe had more depth behind him? Yes and no. I mean, I think you probably do. At the same time, you don't want to be reckless with him. Obviously, he is your best quarterback. But it's, you know, look, 
Cole Snyder can move a little bit. I think it's pretty clear he is the backup. You know, he's been the first guy off the bench two out of three games this year. But that being said, you don't necessarily want Cole Snyder's first real true moments to be Michigan in what could be a competitive game. So I think you, you probably want to be careful with that. But I do think that as long as they get Pacheco in a groove, they've got a good chance on Saturday. So obviously, you know, this would be a massive upset if Rutgers was able to go into the big house. It's homecoming in Michigan. It's the first Big Ten home game with fans that they've had in two years. They're, you know, leading the country and rushing. What basically has to happen or go right for Rutgers for that to even be a possibility? We got to stop the run first. I mean, I think that's the biggest key for Rutgers. Michigan's running game has been tremendous this year. You know, Blake Corum is a budding Heisman Trophy candidate. You got to stop the run. I think after that, I mean, I think takeaways are going to be big. You know, Rutgers hasn't turned the ball over once this year. It's, you know, it's hard to continue to do that, but they really could use a, a fourth week without a turnover because if you give the ball away to the Wolverines, I think you're going to be in trouble. And they're going to have to get some takeaways, you know, against Michigan. But I, I think for them, it's just go out there, control the clock, stop the run, don't make mistakes. You know, special teams, you know, I think there's a couple of things work. One thing that I think works in Rutgers' favor, Michigan hasn't been a terribly dynamic pass rush team. They don't, you know, have a lot of tackles for loss. And that's been kind of an issue for Rutgers. They've been given a lot of negative plays, you know, big first down. And then you run a play with Pacheco or Vedral, they get thrown for two-yard loss. I think that's something that's going to help Rutgers. But no, I mean, I don't want to say Rutgers has to play a perfect football game to beat Michigan, but it's going to be pretty close in my opinion. Because I just I I've been high on Michigan since the preseason. I was one of the few AP top twenty-five guys that ranked them. I think this Michigan team is really good, and I think that we're about a week or two away. You know, this role continues from thinking, hey, could this Michigan team, after all the hoopla, all the you know the drama, be the <laughs> team that finally Harbaugh gets to beat Ohio State? Right. Yeah. No, I I, I think they've they've obviously done everything they they have needed to so far, and it looked impressive from a Rutgers standpoint. You know, how, how, I guess, how do you assess where they're at, at through non-conference? Obviously, they won all three, which is a huge step for a program like this. But these next three pro, these next three games, uh, you know, is it, are we past the point of, I don't want to say moral victories, but I mean, is it almost they need to just survive these next three weeks to get to that patch in October where there's some winnable games? Or, you know, is this the type of thing where they, they need to, to, you know, be able to get one of these three. You know, I think I, – I do think they have to get one of these three in all likelihood, but I, I look at Michigan and Ohio State. Or, these are just two weeks where you just, you're just figuring out where this team stands, you know, in the grand scheme of things in the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to win on Saturday. I don't, think, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State in two weeks. I don't think that really matters in the grand scheme of things. If they're three and two, like they're going to be if, – if they're four and one, they're, that's amazing. If they're five and oh, we got to really have something cooking here. Uh, but if you're three and two, nothing has changed in terms of the outlook of the season. I think that Michigan State, Michigan State North at Northwestern at Illinois with the, with the open date in there, that is the critical stretch of this season. They yeah. have to get two out of three. If they get two out of three, then no matter what, you've got the Maryland game at home in your back pocket to go to a bowl game. I think that's a game that Rutgers would feel pretty good about being at home. I don't think Maryland's terribly well coached. I think that's a game Rutgers should win. But if you don't, you got to get – because if you're at four and – believe that I'm trying to do the math real quick here. But if they're at – if they only have four wins going into that final stretch, then you got to upset someone. 
And could you beat Wisconsin home? Sure. Could you beat Indiana on the road? Sure. I don't think Indiana clearly is not as good as I think maybe last year they were a COVID team and they've kind of come back to earth. But winning at Penn State, you know, it gets tough to win two games in November. So I think the next two weeks we figure out where this team stands. After that, you got to get two out of three to be in position to go to a bowl game. Otherwise, you've got a lot of work to do. And I don't know if this team is quite there yet to get that. Last question. What do you think the best case scenario is? And, and in terms of, of depth, I guess, worst case scenario of how things could, because I always look at Michigan, Ohio State, I always feel like they play close to each other. And, you know, it's almost like if Rutgers can get out of there without so many injuries, you know, I, I, I think that's just a major, major concern. But what do you think best case scenario, uh, just the rest of the way, uh, realistically, that this team can accomplish? I tend to think it's six and six. You know, I, I think that's the number. I think if you, you know, I think going these, my, if I were Rutgers, my goal would be, obviously you don't really talk out these goals would be next two weeks, one of these two, I, I'm not hundred percent sure which one is the more realistic one. I think they're about even maybe take one of these two upcoming opponents into the fourth quarter. When I say into the fourth quarter, if it's 34 to 20 in the fourth quarter on Saturday, I think Rutgers should feel really good about themselves, even if they give up two scores and obviously the score might look ugly. You know, if they're within two scores in the fourth quarter, that's a winnable foot. Sorry, that's a winnable football game, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and I think after that, you know, get two out of three. I mean, I think the Michigan State game could be huge for Rutgers because Michigan State is ranked. I'm still not 100 percent sure that they are as good as they, they've looked. You know, Rutgers could beat a ranked team for the first time and since 2009, knock that off. It could be a signature win, a big momentum win, but maybe they still don't have to necessarily go out and do something crazy yet. So I tend to think six and six. I mean, if they somehow swept those three and they got the six wins there, then then you start thinking, okay, maybe this team could win seven games. Maybe they could win eight. You know, I think the best case scenario for Rutgers would be six and six and they're going to the pinstripe bowl rather than, you know, one of those, bowl games like in Dallas on the day after Christmas, you know, that should be the mission. Get to a bowl game and then avoid the quick lane bowl at all costs. I was going to say, you, you don't want to make that return trip to Detroit, do you? No. <laughs> I, I did not have to make the trip to Detroit. I actually, I'm, I'm going to be in Detroit, well, sort of Detroit, uh, obviously this weekend, but no, I think that's the thing for Rutgers. I mean, I think that Rutgers, I don't think they're ready to kind of punch towards the New Year's New Year's Day bowls and in, in exotic locales yet. But I do think that the pinstripe bowl, six and six, some good wins at home, you know, winning against Michigan State, potentially go to the pinstripe bowl and be able to have 20,000 Rutgers fans there to play an ACC team that you can ha- kind of overwhelm. Well, thank you, James. James Crouch, beat reporter, New Jersey Advanced Media. Appreciate all your great insight and your reporting this week. I really appreciate your time. Anytime, Aaron. Thank you. It is my pleasure to now welcome in site producer and managing editor of SB Nation's Michigan site, Maize and Brew, Anthony Broom. Anthony, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for, for thinking of me. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So first big game for Rutgers in, in a few years. Michigan fans are obviously very used to this. First uh, home game, Big Ten home game that Michigan fans can attend since 2019. It's also homecoming. With the start to non-conference play and the way Michigan has looked so far, how much buzz is there around the fan base for, for Saturday's game? People are excited. I think when you look at the totality of what their non-conference, well, in order to in order to put that in perspective, I think we have to come at this from what the offseason was. I mean, Jim Harbaugh 
got a contract extension that was polarizing, that was controversial, given the way last season went and given how really the six years preceding this one have gone. It, it's it's a sliding scale. Like he's done things that at other schools would probably be, you know, you know particularly at a school like uh, Rutgers that people would, would be thrilled with, but uh, hasn't quite done what he was hired to do at Michigan, which bigger school, bigger program, bigger expectations. But it's, uh, you know, a lot of change happened this off season. And I think that people, because of, how last year went and because of what that looked like, people were optimistic that a reset button could be hit, but also kind of pessimistic given that six years into this whole experiment, it kind of feels like that we know what Michigan is. Now they've come out in these three non-conference games and I don't think it would have been a, it's not a hot take at all to say that they probably should have been three, you know, after these three games, but you know, some people had them losing to Washington. Washington, I think was, I think clearly a bit overrated going into the year when you lose against an FCS school in Montana first week of the season. But what Michigan has done is they've beaten a pretty good Western Michigan team, a team that's probably going to compete for the Mac West title, uh, beat them 47, 14. You come back next week, play the night game, play the maze out game against Washington and and win by three touchdowns. And then last weekend, just a complete total destruction and obliteration of Northern Illinois. And those are, you know, on the surface, you look at the teams and go, ah, I need to see more. And that's true. But I think at the mark of a good football team, uh, now we'll see if they're a very good football team, but the mark of a good football team is taking care of business and doing so emphatically against teams that you should do it against. So Michigan has checked off all the boxes there. They said all offseason that they wanted to be physical at the point of attack. They wanted to build their offense around the run game. And they've got probably, arguably speaking, through the first three weeks of the year, the best one-two running back punch in the country with Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. And the, and the offensive line has been great. So, I mean, when we talk about the vibe and the buzz, I mean, people are buzzing right now because, you know, I think that there's – there's a realization that there's a chance that this team is much better than it was expected to be. A lot of people picking them to win, you know, pick them to win seven or eight games this year. But uh, the analytics love this team right now. S&P Plus loves this team right now. ESPN's FPI loves this team right now. So it's like the eyeball test and the analytics are kind of bearing out that this might be a pretty good football team with, with a chance to do something here. Now, something I said in our podcast this week, and this was in no way, um, this was in reference to the Big Ten as a whole, and not necessarily a New Jersey reference, but starting this week, the brass knuckles and the lead pipes start to come out. It's Big Ten play. <laughs> Things get a little more physical here. So it, it's like the dimmer switch, right, where you go from every week, the challenge gets a little bit more. I think this this little revival under Greg Schiano is there's a lot of merit to it. And, I'm you know, I'd love to hear what you guys, let's, you know, I'll go back and, and look at what you guys are saying about it. But, you know, that's a team, you know, a couple of years ago, Five years ago, Michigan goes to Rutgers and wins 78-0. And last year, Michigan goes to that same venue and it takes them three overtimes to beat them. Different scenarios, uh, COVID year, obviously, but this is a Rutgers team on Saturday that I've been telling people they're coming to Ann Arbor to try win a football game. And they're going to be physical. It's not going to be a team that I expect to be bullied by Michigan. I I, I expect it's going to be a really good challenge because Michigan goes to Wisconsin next week. So you're going to find out what both of these two teams are made of on Saturday. I agree with you. I, um, I actually said something similar as well about Rutgers, you know, doing what good teams do is taking care of business. You know, they won all three non-conference games pretty easily or comfortably. You could say, um, I think obviously on a different level, I think Michigan's schedule was more difficult for sure. 
but I think Rutgers is definitely a first step in in kind of making progress is taking care of that non-conference first time since 2012 uh, 2014 that they uh, finished undefeated in non-conference play. Just touching a little bit on last season on that game, that triple overtime game uh, and Michigan last season, you know, I, I expected them to rebound a lot this year. Obviously, they had a ton of injuries going into that game. You know, I'm not sure about the COVID COVID uh, issues they may have had, um, but how just kind of bizarre was last season. And um, in terms of that game that they played in Piscataway, how, how much do you take away from that in terms of relevancy towards this matchup on Saturday? Well, I think the one thing, the thing that probably would have me on the most high alert is that regardless of how people feel about how Michigan looked last year, I think Rutgers proved that it, one, it's not scared of anyone and that they will be competitive and it's not going to be, you know, you guys know this, it's not the Chris Ash years anymore. This is a team that's going to going to play physical and not back down and, and is ready for a street fight. That's what Greg Schiano teams have always been like. And when it comes to the topic of what Michigan is or what Michigan was last year, everything was kind of a perfect storm. It's, I should say, an imperfect storm of they had injuries. They had arguably their two best players opt out of the season to prepare for the draft and Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas. You know, quarter the, the quarterback situation, like Dylan McCaffrey should have probably been the starter and opted out and then transferred after the year. Joe Milton had a good first game and then just was never himself after that. Or I don't know what himself even is. He's already been benched at Tennessee, but it was just kind of a perfect storm of things just not working. A team that had a lot of, I feel like, put a lot of pressure on itself. A lot of their warts, I think, were COVID season related in terms of the opt out and the injuries. And from a Michigan perspective, there were times last year, and this is where them figuring out this offensive line thing has been such a big deal where a lot of times, at least early on in the year, their offensive line, their starting offensive line wouldn't play together until Saturday because what they would do is they would split the units and practice and in meetings and things like that. So if there was a COVID outbreak that you wouldn't lose your entire starting offensive line. I think that's a, that's a consideration in how things went as well. You need reps, you need chemistry there. But defensive, defensively, I think what happened to them last year, yeah, they were affected by some injuries. Aiden Hutchinson, a guy who will probably be at a day one or, or early day two draft pick, was injured early on in the year. We had some of those opt-outs with Ambry Thomas and some other guys that were banged up throughout the season. But schematically speaking, the defense they had and the coaching staff that they had in place, just it was probably time for them to be let go a year before they did. Uh, they were all let go this past off season, but that didn't happen. I think what happened defensively to them were just kind of like all these paper cuts that hadn't, uh, it just kind of snowballed and became, a, as I said before, an imperfect storm of, of what happened. So you know, I think that the old defensive staff wasn't recruiting particularly well. I thought that uh, the scheme, they were a little, a little older, older grizzled guys, a little less flexible in terms of making adjustments and, uh, schematics and things like that. So I think all of that is kind of what led to Michigan being what it was last year. And, and that's, I don't know if everything's been fixed, but I just know those guys don't have the deer in the headlights look that they had last year and, and winning a couple football games early on probably helps with that, but it's a team that's playing fast. They're playing hard. Uh, I, I'm not going to sit here and speculate on who potential malcontents on the team may have been, but uh, they did turn some roster guys over in terms of, guys entering the transfer portal and just graduating guys and, and just figuring stuff out that the, a reset button from, um, from almost every perspective was hit this off season. And so far 
it, it's paid pretty good dividends for them. Talking about the staff changes, about half the overall staff was turned over. Defensive coordinator now Mike McDonald came from the Baltimore Ravens, obviously coached for Jim's brother, John Harbaugh there. How has that kind of continuity helped him get going in year one? And how does this defense compare to a few years ago when Don Brown did have things working and Michigan you know, had one of the te- best defenses year after year? I think the continuity is probably pretty a pretty big deal. I, I, I mean, culturally speaking, I think that the way that Jim and John Harbaugh build their staffs and operate you know, as a, as a football unit is probably pretty similar, uh, which is not shocking given, given that that family is so tight knit and they are a football family. Uh, Mike McDonald has come in and, and, you know, in addition to George Hilo, who's a younger guy coaching, like all of these guys on defense, except for Sean Nua, who's their defensive line coach. Uh, he stayed from last year's staff, but they churned over everything. They got younger there. You know, in terms of the defense, they're running some more odd front stuff, some more two-man fronts. Guys like Aiden Hutchinson don't just have their hand in the dirt anymore. They're dropping back into coverage. They're rushing from a linebacker position. I think uh, probably the biggest knock on, on Don Brown's defense was, again, they weren't all that flexible schematically. And also, there was a lot of square peg, round hole stuff going on. A guy like Quiddy Pay, who was a first-round pick this past year, he goes to the Indianapolis Colts. A guy who was more or less kind of a an, a run or more of an anchor on the defensive line and you know kind of a power guy. He goes to, he goes in place for the Colts and they revamp everything because they are of the opinion that he was being misused there. There's been a lot of guys that have kind of come through that program and then you go to, they go to the NFL and they find a role. I think a big emphasis on from a, from Michigan's perspective, from Mike McDonald's perspective, is that you know it doesn't have to be that complicated. See ball, get ball. Someone asked him during a, a fall camp press conference, you know, what do you, uh, you know, there was some, some terminology stuff in, in Don Brown's defense for pass rushers and kind of that safety linebacker hybrid position. And someone asked like, what are you going to call your pass rushing linebackers? And Mike McDonald more or less goes, we're going to call them linebackers that rush the passer. So it's just kind <laughs> of like, it's just kind of, there, there's kind of just like a see ball, get ball, just, just go come and play football. We'll put you in positions to succeed. You know, there is because the last couple of years of the Don Brown era, and it's not, you can't throw this all at his feet. It's also Michigan has, hasn't won enough football games, but there have been some recruiting deficiencies in terms of the guys that they brought in, namely on the back seven. Uh, I'm not crazy still about what they have at defensive back, though, though those guys are playing fairly well, which is a testament to the coaching staff and, and Ron Bellamy and Steve Klingscale, who are in charge of those guys on the back end. But I just think there's been a, an emphasis to, this is what we have. These are the guys on the roster. We're going to amplify the things they do well and adjust our defense accordingly. And it's funny because the defense is fairly simple, but they do a really nice job of disguising coverages and what they're going to do. So it's simple, but it's still multifaceted, which is you know, when you can when you can check those two boxes, you're starting from a pretty good place there. So I've been pretty impressed so far uh, with what I've seen there. And it seems like that unit is getting a little bit better every week, which is if you're a Michigan person, that's good to see. So shifting gears to offense, obviously the rushing attack is uh, leading the country right now. Blake Corum having uh, a great start to the season. Hassan Haskins also uh, having a really good year. Uh, their yards per average, are averaging over seven yards a rush per carry as an offense. How have they been so effective? And what are your thoughts on their continued success once now Big Ten play is here? 
Yeah, I think a lot of their success has come from what I talked about earlier, that they're just more physical at the point of attack. This is probably uh, you know, another coaching change that was made. Ed Warner was out as their uh, their offensive line coach. Sharon Morse uh, switches there from tight ends, a guy who actually played guard at Oklahoma and blocked for Adrian Peterson. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a natural fit uh, for him. I, I you know that's not to say, you know, if you're a football coach, you can pretty much coach anywhere, but it seems like they just kind of hit the, hit the ground running there. So um, in addition to that, it brings back Mike Hart, who was a star back for them in the mid two thousands. And he goes on to have a, you know, he, he's been a rising assistant coach over the last decade or so. Those two guys are, are, that's kind of the secret sauce right now is what those guys have been able to pull off. I think that what they've been able to do speaks a lot to the type of, to the success that this team is having rushing the football. Uh, you also have to have talented backs and Blake Corum is you know, our, our Steven Ostentoski who works for our site. When he did his recruiting video as a freshman, he said, when you look at this guy play and he's like five, eight, I don't know how, how much he weighs off the top of my head, but Steven always says like, if this guy was an inch or two taller, he might've been a five-star recruit. I think he was right on the edge of that top 100. I want to say maybe he was ranked 106 in the country or something like that, but he was in the weight room all off season. And there was a, uh, there was a video or a, a picture that went viral of him over the summer where he's just, he's totally just yoked. He looks like the thing from the fantastic four. Um, and he's, he's probably, uh, He's probably slimmed down a little bit since then, since he's, you know, you, know, you get your pumping and stuff, but you got to play at a good weight too. Um, he just, he's more patient as a sophomore right now. And again, grain of salt, because we've seen the type of teams that are, have been on Michigan's schedule so far, but he might be the most, and, and again, Mike Hart, just a little bit before my time. Uh, he's probably the best modern Michigan running back, but Based on what I've seen and, and what Michigan's been able to do with, with Blake Corum back there, he returns kicks. You can catch the ball out of the backfield. He might be the most purely talented Michigan running back that I've seen. He's quick. I mean, he's so patient, too. He's, he's patient. You know, he can go from zero to 60 in a second. I mean, go watch the touchdown run he had against Washington. It was a 67-yard touchdown. And this hole opens up on the left side. And he does this ever so slight, like, kind of a stutter step just kind of freezes everyone for a split second and then boom he's gone and he dusts the safety you know if Michigan's offensive line can keep doing what they have been with opening up holes and and um, you know their center Andrew Vistardis is he was a he's a fifth year guy he's a walk-on he's playing the best football of his career he's a captain the ingredients are there for this to be su- sustainable they're not just running you know ripping off long runs they're they're getting they're running for tough yards and they're, you know, getting those intermediate ones They're They have this big playability where they can hit the home runs there too. And, uh, you know, Hassan Haskins is a guy who over the last couple of years has probably been their most consistent running back. And, and even he looks like he's playing um, down a little bit in terms of weight. He look he's been patient. He's been running hard and been able to, uh, he looks a little quicker too. So Michigan has said all off season, those two guys are their one a and one B uh, running backs. And, that's exactly what they said it was going to be. That's what it looked like so far. And also, if you need someone to spell one of those guys, they have a top they have a top 40 guy from the state of Michigan they brought in this year in Donovan Edwards, who looks like he's going to be able to start getting some more run here and there. So just uh, like I said, there are there are concerns in the Michigan fan base that they're not passing the ball enough because college football 2021, you got to be able to run the air raid, apparently. What they're doing right now is set a really nice foundation to build off of. And are they going to run for 340 yards every team they play? Not in this conference, but 
they've got the they've got the backs. I think they've got the offensive line and the coaching to continue to stay near the top of the Big Ten in rushing. So talking about Cade McNamara, obviously Rutgers fans are familiar with him coming off the bench, throwing four touchdowns in that triple overtime game last year. Uh, you know, Michigan did actually keep their offensive coordinator in Josh Gaddis. They got rid of QB coach Ben McDaniels, who Rutgers fans know well as well, former offensive coordinator. Uh, Matt Weiss is there now. What impact have, have they had with McNamara? He's actually thrown the same amount of passes through three games that he threw in that entire game last year against Rutgers. Obviously, non-conference play and, and the way they were running the ball, he didn't need to. But now with the news that uh, starting cornerback Max Melton is out, conference play, uh, perhaps maybe opening up the playbook a little more, do you expect McNamara to be able to uh, or attempt to, to throw it more in this game? And, and how has uh, his new quarterback coach influenced him? In terms of the, the immediacy of Saturday's game, it's going to depend on the weather. It looks like there's a chance it might be kind of a little bit chilly and rainy on Saturday. So I don't know what that means for either team. Uh, I'll say this about Cade McNamara. I, I won't call it a star-making turn, but he took the reins on, on this quarterback room in that game against Rutgers last year. He, and all he did, all he had to do to do that was just run the offense, make the throws he needed to make. He wasn't exactly airing it out against Rutgers. I went back and watched that game uh, recently, and he's just making the throws, reading the offense, making the reads, doing what you have to do. And for a team like Michigan, who was such a hodgepodge of mistakes and injuries and all this kind of stuff last year, they just needed a guy. They needed a guy to be to come in, play the quarterback position, lead drives, score points. That's it. Now they've got a the elephant in the room with them has been that they have a five star guy in JJ McCarthy who came in this year, and eventually. He's probably going to be too talented to keep off the field. We've already seen him in limited action, and the, the hype on him seems to be legitimate. But Cade McNamara has come in and I think taken a leadership role. He's been exactly what they've needed him to be in terms of a call, cool, calm, and cerebral kind of presence at the quarterback position. Now, this year, he hasn't thrown a ton yet so far. And when you're running for 350 yards a game, you don't really need to worry about that. But there, there have been, I mean, there are concerns in the fan base. Week one, he comes out, didn't throw a ton, but a good, efficient performance. I actually believe he was uh, pro football focus's top graded quarterback in week one. Come out next week against Washington, and it didn't look good. He wasn't sharp. The ball was coming out slow. Now, part of that is because Washington has issues of its own, but they've got probably a couple of cornerbacks that'll be in the NFL draft this year. They always have good players on defense. So, and, and to compound that Michigan lost its, its captain, its best wide receiver and Ronnie Bell in that week one game, he tore his ACL. He's out for the year. So still kind of figuring things out there, but you know, this past Saturday, again, against Northern Illinois, grain of salt, but he comes out, it looks sharp. The accuracy uh, was good. The touch on the deep balls were good. They haven't really thrown deep a lot with him at all, but it seems like there's, slowly but surely peeling back the layers there. And, and like I said, if they're going to, if teams are going to throw eight or nine in the box to stop this run game, Michigan's going to have opportunities to throw and they need some wide receivers to step up without Ronnie Bell out there. But uh, for now, Cade McNamara, like I said, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's always going to be that tie to Rutgers and that that's where his opportunity started. And that's, like I said, continuing to kind of grow and lead the offense. And I think he deserves a little more respect than, just being the placeholder guy for a guy like uh, JJ McCarthy, but he's uh, he's played well and I I'm excited. I, you know, I'm really excited and intrigued to see what or his development goes from there. So Anthony, last question for you. Uh, obviously a uh, huge game for Rutgers. Uh, this is the latest uh, in the season. They've been undefeated facing an unbeaten team 
since 2006, that great season for them. Obviously, a big uh, homecoming game for Michigan, looking to kind of prove that they're back once again, opening Big Ten play. With all that happened last year, you know, I can only imagine how often Michigan players and, and coaches maybe were even asked, you know, it really, it took you three three overtimes to beat Rutgers. Is there maybe, is this a, an opportunity for them, a statement for them to deliver, you know, another blowout win to kind of prove a point? And what do you think the keys are for this game um, from a Michigan perspective? Yeah, I do think this has a chance to be a statement win, especially given that it's the opener to Big Ten play. This is where we start to see who is this is really when the Big Ten pecking order starts to shake itself out, right? I mean, I think we've seen that. I think the East is probably as good as it's ever been. It's hard to say right now who is. It's hard to rank it at all, one through you know one through seven, whatever it is in the East. But I do think this is a statement game for them. I think that last year, last year weighed pretty heavily on Michigan, and you know it's no disrespect to Rutgers or the program, but I think that uh, them having to, given the the history and the trajectory of the two schools, I think them having to fight as hard as they did last year for that game. I think that that's something that, that rubbed them the wrong way. That's something that I think is probably still sour in that building. So uh, I do think that they're, they're welcoming the chance for these big 10 street fights, these, uh, you know, these jets versus shark type of brawls and territory and turf wars and all that kind of stuff. I, I think that they will look to make a statement on Saturday. My biggest question is that, like I said, Rutgers, when you play a team that's hungry and has no fear, that's as scary as it gets. And Rutgers is Rutgers is a scrappy dog looking to find its way and, and secure its footing and its future in a what looks like will be a pretty big ten, a pretty deep Big Ten East this year. So the thing I'm I'm probably most wary of is, like I said, the physicality aspect of it. Uh, last year, when Michigan was punched in the mouth by by Michigan State in Week Two. They didn't really have a counter punch. When they tasted their own blood, they kind of folded it and never, and never got it back the rest of the year. They're going to take some punches on Saturday. Like I, talent, talent gap, whatever, whatever people believe about this matchup, Michigan's going to take a few licks. And how do you respond to that? And at some point, they're due for a game where they're not going to uh, play up to what Vegas the the spread says it is, or they're not. It's it's probably not over the, the span of a twelve to thirteen game season. You're just not going to fire on all cylinders every week. So, like I said, all it takes is, you know, I, I want to see how Michigan responds to to a punch. That's the biggest thing that I, my biggest question. I think they're well equipped for that. I think that uh, the mentality's in the right place. But again, until we see it, that's where the questions lie with me. So, again, uh, Rutgers, this isn't uh, usually when you schedule that homecoming game, you're doing it against someone that you think you'll beat pretty handily. And Rutgers is going to come into town looking to win a football game, just like they tried to win a football game last year. And I know a lot of people will be watching too, because if Rutgers can make Michigan bleed, that can give other teams the blueprint for what it takes. So this is uh, this is an incredibly important game for both teams. But I think uh, if you're a Michigan program looking to continue this climb that you've been back on, you've been climbing out of this enormous hole. They have to. They probably have to make a statement on Saturday. Anthony Broom, site producer and managing editor of SB Nation's Michigan site, Maze & Brew. Anthony, really appreciate all your great insight and uh, looking forward to Saturday. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate your time. Of course, anytime, you guys. Thanks so much to Anthony Broom and James Cratch for joining us this episode, for getting us ready for Michigan Rutgers on Saturday. Obviously a tall task for Rutgers, 
The last time they visited Michigan, a 52-0 loss, although Rutgers fans could also look at the bright side of things. Uh, Chris Ash was immediately fired after that game. So uh, I don't know if the big house necessarily has good memories, but um, certainly something to reflect on uh, to keep perspective for whatever happens on Saturday, uh, where this program was two years ago, the last time they visited to where they are now uh, under Greg Schiano, second year, 3-0 and start, 6-6 six and six since his arrival at Rutgers. Obviously, uh, you know, a, a huge opportunity for Rutgers on Saturday. But uh, as Jamie Cratch uh, eloquently put, you know, even if they lose this game in Ohio State, they are still in position to where this season can be a massive success. So I think this is a game Rutgers fans should really enjoy no matter what happens. There's no pressure. And let's let the chips fall where they may. Thanks so much for joining us. You can follow us on onthebanks.com, OTB underscore SB Nation at Twitter. Plenty more coverage the rest of this week on this game and all the sports here at Rutgers at On The Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.